Well, the card you, Jerry Adams or Rayshon. August Tasula Gumsa, Maris Grago will Shivsha, Gumoy. August Kahimeirago will May, Gumoyak, Tame Brunok, Egan Lashaw, Fui Bass, our Kara, Shane McGowan. August Bawalia Makovrona Yanula, Avan Kelia, Victoria Mary Clark, a Jerifer, Siobhan agos a ahar Morris agos a cardia ar fod an ar fod an doon ba trir gra a door sien cioltor go hwntag agos fella go hauling so I hope you're all well I'm still like most people reflecting on the death of Shane McGowan and as it turns out, I was going to see Shane last Wednesday, myself and Richard, in the hospital where he has been for six months. And that very day, uh, he was brought home. So Victoria Mary Clark, his wife, told us to detour from the hospital over to the house. And away we went and we had a, a last meeting with Shane, he, he he was very bright, although he was obviously at death's door. Uh, and I, I, I knew it was the last time that I would see him alive. Though I didn't think, didn't know, of course, that he would leave us so so quickly after that. So my co-vron, my my solidarity and sympathy to Victoria Mary, to... Sister Siobhan, to his father Morris, to all of his family, to all of his friends uh, throughout the world, but particularly those who played music with him, and to his many fans, because there's a, a personal loss in all of this when, when somebody produces music and poetry and songs and lyrics which reflect the, the human condition, particularly the Irish or in some cases the London Irish. Uh, so he was he was a scholar, he was a gentleman, uh, he was a patriot, very, very Republican. I first met him in the late 1980s when we were uh, victimised by the British and Irish establishment and the community of West Belfast was being treated like pariahs we were under military occupation, but also subjected to a, a campaign of vilification. And out of that came Fela and Fubble, and many people came within the community to present their talents and their creativity, but also from outside this community. Christy Moore came up, and uh, Robert Bala came up, and Frances Black, and uh, numerous, numerous, numerous others. And that included the Pogues. And they came into Spring Hill and they came in to play an hour or two and they stayed a day or two. So the, their friendship has endured since uh, then and, uh, and we miss them. So I was uh, reflecting just on, on where, where, where 
is loyalism today? Where, where are they uh, going? And I've actually met many loyalists over a very long time in, in prison and out of prison and in secret or private talks going back to the 1970s and many, many times since then. And I like to think that some of us became friends or at least we became friendly. Now, some loyalist leaders played a crucial role in the negotiations which led to the Good Friday Agreement and they deserve great credit for that. But that was then. Unfortunately, some of those involved have died or are no longer active. And in other instances, more progressive elements have been replaced by younger uh, folks with little interest in politics or experience of prison or of conflict. So 20 years after the Good Friday Agreement, the main loyalist organizations remain in existence. And why? why? Why is that so? Maybe for some it is a way of life. And for some of those it's a lucrative way of life, especially for the ones who are involved in the illegal drugs trade. In many cases it's impossible to distinguish between the two. There's not even a pretense that they're interested in anything other than racketeering, extortion, drug poisoning and money-making. But not all loyalists are like that. And incidentally, the scourge of illegal drugs is not confined to any one section here. It's a huge problem in communities across this island with some of the gangs involved flying Republican Maria flags of convenience and also cooperating with their loyalist Maria counterparts in criminal activities. In my view, this is a placing issue which requires a more urgent and strategic approach and a focus by the PSNI and in Garda Shikana. So what is loyalist paramilitarism about today? In the past, the main loyalist organisations were run as counter gangs by British and RUC Special Branch. In fact, some were established or resurrected by British intelligence agencies. And that's now a matter of public record. And so is collusion. There was also a crossover between membership of the old B Specials and the Ulster Defence Regiment and loyalist paramilitaries. The main unionist political parties also maintained a close relationship with the main loyalist paramilitaries. In fact, some do. And indeed, the DUP, way back in the day, set up its own paramilitary groups including Ulster Resistance, which went on to import arms from the apartheid regime in South Africa in 1988. To my knowledge, Ulster Resistance had never been properly investigated by the media or by the police and did not engage with the commission responsible for putting arms beyond use. So again, why are loyalist paramilitaries still in existence? They obviously still recruit and so too, it seems, do so-called Republican dissident groups. Now, those who are classified sometimes as dissidents, who genuinely disagree with Sinn Féin, should do the decent thing and pursue their aims politically and peacefully, because there's no reason whatsoever for armed groups to exist. For its part, when the IRA formally ended its armed campaign in 2005, 
it stopped recruiting and left the stage. And Sinn Féin has effectively filled that space and is the only Republican movement nowadays. And Sinn Féin has committed to purely political modes of struggle. It also has widespread popular support. Loyalist working class people have no such organisation, even in skeletal form, to represent them. Since the death of David Irvine, the loss of Billy Hutchison's seat in last year's council elections and the resignation of Don Purvis some years ago from the Progressive Unionist Party, there seems little chance of loyalism organising itself politically and separately from the main Unionist parties. This is despite their intense hostility towards, in particular, the DUP. Loyalists will freely vent against the way they've been used and abused in the past by the DUP. They give off about the failure or refusal of the main unionist parties to secure services for deprived areas. And then they go off and electioneer for the very same parties which exploited them and exploit them in this way. At the same time, there are individuals, including former Loyalist prisoners and some of the above, who are doing their best to improve conditions for their communities, which, like their working-class Republican counterparts, suffer greatly from disadvantage and poverty. In my opinion, these Loyalists are decent people, as much opposed to the drugs trade and wanting better opportunities for young people as the rest of us. And there are numerous other activists in the Civic and Community Centre or sector across Belfast Loyalist neighbourhoods, particularly the women's sector, which have no paramilitary connections whatsoever and are doing great work to tackle sectarianism and inequality. There are also former Loyalist prisoners alongside Republicans doing crucial work in Belfast's so-called interface areas to ease tensions, especially in times of heightened difficulties. Getting them to go beyond this is extremely difficult. Maybe they don't have the influence or the inclination at this time to do more. And maybe others would make life more difficult, too difficult for them. For our part, those of us who are committed to the aim of uniting Protestant Catholics and dissenters should not give up on our loyalist neighbours. We can agree to disagree on the constitutional future of this place while cooperating on social and economic needs. That means being avowedly anti-sectarian at a personal level, at a community level and especially at a government level. The short-lived pauses, the ceasefires of sorts in Gaza have ended and the release of the hostages and including Emily and a nine-year-old Irish Israeli child that was all very welcome but every effort must be made despite what's happening at the moment to get everyone that's been held prisoner including Palestinian, now numbering in their thousands and including many children who are incarcerated in prisons, some interned for years. All of those should be released. 
the attacks by the Israeli army on the families of Palestinians and the hostages is reprehensible. The occupation of northern Gaza, the indiscriminate attacks on civilians, the ongoing attacks against Palestinian farmers and landowners and residents on the West Bank is evidence of an Israeli government's determination to maintain its apartheid system. A Palestinian population almost equivalent to the entire population of the North has been forcibly displaced. They have been ethnically cleansed. A million and a half additional refugees. And remember, many of the people of the Gaza Strip were already refugees. And some on the West Bank have lived all their lives in refugee camps. Over 15,000 people are now believed to have been killed in Gaza. Almost half of these have been children. And the awful, dreadful images of broken bodies of shocked and wounded and orphaned children has moved millions around the world to cry stop to this genocidal slaughter of innocents. The public claim by the Israeli government that that its military objective in Gaza and the West Bank is to destroy Hamas and provide security for its future is false. These objectives will not be achieved. In fact, arguably, the current strategy has strengthened Hamas support among Palestinians. No one with any sense can believe that the last six weeks of industrial-level destruction in Gaza will have improved Israel's security. On the contrary, Israel is becoming increasingly isolated internationally. Around the world, millions are on the streets week after week demanding a permanent ceasefire and justice for the Palestinian people. The UI political, Gomelesco, the European Union political consensus is breaking down and some governments are now criticising the Israeli government and others are now openly advocating for Palestinian statehood. And moreover, Israeli efforts to find allies among the Arab states has taken a significant battering. 30 years ago after the Oslo Accords, the Middle East peace process held out the real potential for a two-state settlement. As Seamus Heaney so wisely explained in our own place, in 1994, after the IRA cessation, we had a space in which hope can grow. And that's what's happened here, here in our homeland. Against all the odds, because there was leadership to nurture the hope, to widen and deepen the space. But in the Middle East, this was not to be. Successive Israeli governments, and especially those led by Netanyahu, have deliberately undermined that latent possibility and chosen instead to expand its theft of Palestinian land. They've institutionalised an apartheid system of control and domination as inhuman and pervasive as that of the old apartheid South Africa. The desire for an exclusively Zionist state from the Mediterranean to the Jordan has become for many not all Israels, Israelis, but that's become, for the Zionists at least, the Holy Grail. 
Whatever process of negotiations and peace efforts must emerge out of the current crisis, it will only succeed if the Zionist dispossession, occupation and apartheid regime is ended. National self-determination and the equality of opportunity and respect for the rights of the Palestinians, alongside the rights of their Israeli neighbours, has to be the bedrock for any peace process. And finally, last week we had the horrific stabbing in Dublin of three children and a woman from Gale Skull College to Waira and the subsequent street violence. And it was shocking. And the bravery of those who tackled the attacker is commendable. The burning of guarded cars and buses and the looting of shops, yes, that, that must be condemned. But that's not enough. There are real questions about how these events were handled and about the lack of resources, political capacity and intelligence. The people of Dublin's inner city are decent people. The far right does not represent them. But as in Europe and elsewhere, they're a violent faction eager to foment division, to promote disinformation and to encourage racism, division and hate. So they must be opposed. They must be challenged at every opportunity. That's why I say well done to all of those who rallied and who participated, for example, in the trade union sponsored rally at the GPO in O'Connell Street on Monday last. Those involved in the violence will undoubtedly, as the government has promised, face the full rigours of the law. But a thorough independent investigation is also required of Garda handling of the events and a multi-agency-led strategy of social inclusion is urgently needed so all of our young people have equality of opportunity. So Shane Aharja, Mila Boyhis, Gunyuri and Ta Lebsha, August Torigi Ayra, Slan August Balakht.